0: You're listening to KW Magazine, 98.5 CKWR. I'm John Maciel. Thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight. Uh, Of course, that uh, horrible situation in London recently where three adults and one teen from the same family were killed in a hit and run back on June uh, the 6th. The family's uh, nine-year-old boy was hospitalized with serious injuries. Uh, police um, appear to uh, did say that they appear to have been targeted because of their Islamic faith. A 20-year-old man was charged with four counts of murder at the time and one count of attempted murder. That has since changed, and we'll talk briefly about that. Uh, But joining us on the line is uh, Phil Gursky. He's the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. He uh, worked as a senior strategic analyst at CSIS from 2001 to 2013, is the author of a number of books, including The Threat from Within, Recognizing Al-Qaeda's Inspired Radicalization and Terrorism in the West. Sir good evening. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us. Well, thank
1: you, John, for having me on the program. Uh,
0: you are a native uh, Londoner. Um, you, I understand, were, were born and raised in that city. What... Uh, uh, what are your thoughts um, following that horrific situation?
1: Uh, it was it, horrific is the word I think I would use, John. It was it was a heinous act of violence. It was a cowardly act of violence. And in the immediate aftermath of what happened, I don't think anyone went to, the, to, to that sort of nth degree where they thought it was a intentional and b, it was tied to at a minimum what appears to be a premeditated act, uh, possibly a hate crime. And as we're seeing, over the last couple of days and and uh, and hours, the uh, intimation that it may in fact have been an act of terrorism, you know, yeah, you're I'm born and raised. I haven't been, lived in London since 1983, so it's been quite some time. But it is my hometown, and to think that someone could act in this manner is uh, is almost beyond comprehension.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we know so far um, about the suspect? It's
1: Changing as we speak. I think there, uh, in the initial days, uh, there was not a lot known. We knew his name. We knew his age. We knew that he was a bit of a loner. We knew. uh, We learned later on that his parents had divorced when he was 16 years old. Uh, We knew that he a bit of an online guy. Although incredibly, despite his online gaming, I guess uh, predilection, he didn't seem to have a lot of social media, which, which which struck people as very odd. If you're going to be online all the time, chances are you have a social media presence, and this young man did not. What struck me, John, I think, in the immediate aftermath, as we started to learn things, was the 100% conviction by friends, associates, his uh, father, that this young man never showed any signs of racism. He never showed any signs of what's been termed Islamophobia, a term I don't particularly like, but it is what it is. In other words, there didn't seem to be this, uh, we had a case of an individual who had long expressed hateful opinions towards Muslims, immigrants, Jews, uh, colored people, whatever, and decided to act out upon it. So I I think we're still left with a lot more questions and answers. And and yet the, the London police immediately did, well, in the immediate aftermath, said that, yes, it was premeditated and it appeared to have been carried out for hateful reasons. Which suggests that the young man said something upon his arrest, but again, I think I think there's an awful lot we don't know at this point. Uh,
0: it it clearly does seem very much out of character, uh, based on on what we hear uh, from uh, from folks who who know him. How much um, can we rely on that kind of information coming from from people who know him?
1: Great question, John. And, and you know, this is something that when I worked at CSIS, we we used to see all the time. We would talk to people, and they say, "Well," What do you mean my neighbor's been arrested on a conspiracy to commit terror? My neighbor was the greatest guy on the planet. He, he shoveled my driveway in the winter. He collected my mail when I was on vacation. There's no way my neighbor could have been possibly involved in planning an act of terrorism or, you know, involved in mass murder. So I, I think as humans, we either don't want to believe the worst in people or, let's put it put it very simply, John, uh, Most people most people are not intelligence analysts or police officers. They don't know what to look for. They don't know what's significant, and they may, in fact, ignore the, the facts in front of them. So I'm not dismissing eyewitness statements. I'm not dismissing the, the accounts that people have given of this young man in London. But I think we have to be very careful in trying to take what they say as a evidence, because that's a very different thing under Canadian law, and and, and, and in terms of its reliability. So uh, we just got to keep digging and try to find out more and more. And, and, and the bottom line, John, is the only person who knows why this man did this is the man himself. If he confesses to it, if he has left some kind of manifesto like we saw in the case in Norway, but, you know, 10 years ago, Anders Breivik left a 1500 page manifesto as to why he'd out the act of terrorism. I have that manifesto on my bookshelf. It's very, very boring, trust me. But he outlined in great, great detail his ideology. If you don't have that in this case, it's really hard to put those pieces together.
0: Here with KW Magazine 985 CKWR. Phil Gursky is our guest. He's a president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, also the author of The Threat From Within. Um, in the last uh, few days, the, the charges have been uh, upgraded to uh, to terror uh, to, to terror charges. What does that tell you?
1: I'm not sure. Uh, it seemed, uh, again, to Lake terrorism charges under the Canadian Criminal Code, at section 83.01, and it states that a crime must be planned or an act of serious violence must be planned or committed for political, ideological, or religious reasons, or with the intent to intimidate and cause fear in the public. To get there, John, you've got to have a fairly robust body of evidence because now you're talking intent. You're not talking about the act itself. You're talking about the intent underlying the act. So when police laid first-degree murder charges, that suggests premeditation. That suggests planning. What it does not suggest is why he planned them. So again, unless there's a huge body of evidence that's been gathered relatively quickly uh, from this young man or from this young man's surroundings, it's hard for me to uh, understand how they could go to terrorism charges this quickly. I will cite for the record that in you know the days following the attack, the Prime Minister, the Premier Doug Ford, uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and a whole bunch of other people, including Bill Blair, former head of Toronto Police, who's now the Public Safety Minister, categorically called it terrorism. And I said, I I can't go there yet until I have a lot more information. So I, I don't want to be uh, you know a conspiracy theorist, John. But was the Crown, which lays the charges in this case, was the Crown influenced by what politicians said this thing to be? Because as 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 a, a career long security intelligence professional. I spent 32 years in the business with CSE and CSIS. You don't want to go down that pathway until you have a lot of information upon which you're confident to to make that decision. So again, why it was done, that's a really good question. But it's also important important to point out, these are charges. This is not a conviction. This is not a terrorism act until it's proven in a court of law beyond reasonable doubt.
0: Um, Given the the position of the prime minister, as you alluded to, and other political um, figures, And of course, we don't know what kind of information they potentially would have had access to. But is that is that wise or did they, in fact, jump to conclusion to a conclusion too quickly?
1: They may have. But you you raise a really good point, John. You know, I, I had access to intelligence for 32 years when I worked in the government. I no longer have access to that. I have access to the same information that you do, open source, online stuff does the prime minister have something from the RCMP or from London police or from the anti-terrorism section? So in Ontario, the OPP has an anti-terrorism section. I used to work with them when I retired from CSIS. There are a lot of bodies that do these kinds of investigations in Canada. And so there may be snippets here and there that point to a motivation and that those uh, information may in fact have been shared with the prime minister and with the public safety minister, but shared with Jagmeet Singh, how would Jagmeet Singh have access to intelligence at this point? So I think a lot of conclusions have been drawn. They, they appear to me to be potentially premature conclusions. End of the day, John, when this trial is held, uh, I may be look, I may look very foolish and it was terrorism from the get-go. But all I'm saying is that based on what is available right now, uh, we can't get there uh, because you have to prove that underlying motivation. And what from what I might have seen so far, that has not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt.
0: From a potential conviction point of view, is this a a risky uh, decision by the Crown?
1: Not really. Uh, I thought it would be because if you charge someone with terrorism and the judge says you haven't proven that, uh, the charges are stayed. But from what I've read, he's also been charged with first-degree murder. That's going to be a fairly easy charge to prove. He did kill those people. It appears to have been premeditated. Even if they can't prove terrorism, they can prove first-degree murder. And in Canada, first-degree murder is a life sentence, minimum 25 years before parole. So I think um, unless there's some kind of extenuating circumstances, i.e. maybe mental health issues, which have been alluded to, by the way, in the media, and I'm not going to go down that path because I'm not either a psychiatrist nor a psychologist, but if it goes according to plan, he will be found guilty of first-degree murder and serve a very long sentence. Interestingly, John, in Canadian law, being found guilty of terrorism does not carry a longer sentence than being found guilty of first-degree murder. In other words, the, ch- the terrorism charge adds nothing to the potential sentence. Now, if he had been guilty of a found guilty of a hate crime, that's different because under Canadian law, if you commit an act of violence and it's determined it's, it's, it targets a certain group because of their ethnicity, race, sexuality, whatever, the judge has the leeway, has the ability to increase the sentence because it's a hate crime. My understanding of Canadian law is that does not apply in a terrorism case.
0: Um, obviously, you alluded to the fact that uh, first-degree murder will be, in this case, fairly easy to prove. But in terms of uh, the hate crime or terrorism, what are some of the areas that uh, that the Crown uh, will have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt uh, in, in order to achieve a conviction?
1: They'll have to show um, that the underlying motivation was uh, either it was targeted. Now, were they targeted because they were Muslim, because they were brown-skinned, because they they wore uh, you know, traditional Pakistani clothing, because they looked to be immigrants? We don't know that just yet. So it, the, the hate crime legislation is very, very broad in terms of what types of groups may be targeted. From the terrorism perspective, you have to demonstrate that this is an ideologically motivated crime. So the question then becomes, what constitutes an ideology? That's, that's it's not an easy question to answer. Mm-hmm. Ideology means many things to many people. And, and as I've been trying to say over the past week and a half now, hate is not an ideology. Some ideologies are very hateful, like Islamist extremism, like neo-Nazism, like Jewish extremism in the West Bank of Israel. But hate of itself is not an ideology. That's why there's hate crimes and there's terrorism. they are different parts of the criminal code. So the Crown actually has quite the burden ahead of it. And, I, and may I add, John, I was in conversation with a defense lawyer last week I was on another another interview, and he said that if he's defending the client and the charges are first-degree murder, he's got virtually no hope to get his client off. But if the charges are terrorism, he has all kinds of avenues he can go after to make the Crown prove that, in fact, those ideological underpinnings were there. So in some ways, if it doesn't increase the sentence and it makes the prosecution more difficult, it's a valid question to ask, why would you lay terrorism charges in this place and not just go with first-degree murder?
0: KW Magazine, 98.5 CKWR, chatting with Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Um, There have been many situations uh, in the past of similar uh, heinous crimes that uh, really the answers have never never been determined. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking, for instance, of the Las Vegas uh, shooter, uh, but there have been others... Is there potentially a situation uh, in this case where uh, we will never get answers to these questions?
1: Absolutely, I'm really glad you raised the Las Vegas case, John, because that was, I believe, 50 people dead, more than 450 wounded by Stephen Paddock. He was up on the was the 34th floor of the Mandalay Hotel in Las Vegas. He was basically he was it's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? He killed himself before law enforcement arrived, and despite a year-long investigation, I believe it was, there was no motive determined. He didn't leave any traces. He didn't leave a manifesto. He didn't say on social media, I'm doing this for X, Y, or Z. Unless this young man in London comes up with a full confession, or unless they can piece together the motivation from his online posting or his conversations with friends, and to date we've got none of that right now, we may never know. And so I I understand the frustration that people feel in that regard because we always want to know, right? We want to know what would cause a 20-year-old man with no criminal record, no indication of hateful behavior in the past, what led him to cross that median in Northwest London, target a family for killing, run them over and then drive away only to be arrested within a half an hour later. I think humans always want to understand the why. And I think in incidents where we never get to the why, that strikes us as a very unsatisfactory result. But unfortunately, it does happen. It's happened in the past, as you pointed out, and it will happen in the future as well.
0: Um, On the subject of of terrorism, uh, I mean, the whole notion of terrorism, whether it's uh, uh, terrorism that is initiated overseas, uh, domestic terrorism, it has become so prevalent in, in the way that we look at many of these situations where, our initial reaction almost instantly is to to think about terrorism. And, and is, that a, is that dangerous in your opinion?
1: I don't know if it's dangerous. It's unfortunate. I, I've always said, John, that we've, we have terrorism on the brain. We've had it since 9-11. Prior to 9-11, nobody cared about terrorism. Now, I, I, I'm being a little facetious here. Obviously, CEC cared about the RCMP, the CIA, etc. But your average citizen didn't really care about terrorism. It was something that happened, as you say, over there. Uh, if it happened here, it was so you know, irregular and infrequent. I mean, my latest book is called The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism and Confederation of the Present. And I can count on the fingers of four hands how many acts of terrorism we've had in 154 years. So it really is, it's its kind of like a, a rounding error, if you will, uh, in terms of events that happen, uh, you know, on earth. It worries me that people are labeling more and more things terrorism. And um, I use the phrase, which I hope it means something. You know, when everything's terrorism, then nothing is terrorism. I prefer to go with the criminal quote code, code definition, which I already cited, the ideological, political, or religious motivation, which is very hard to prove. We survived in this country, John, without terrorism legislation for about 145 years. The terrorism legislation came in only after 9-11. So think back. You and I remember the FLQ days mm-hmm. in the 60s. They were never charged with terrorism. We had Armenian extremists kill two Turkish diplomats in Ottawa in the 80s. They were not charged with terrorism. Air India was not seen as an act of terrorism because there was no terrorism legislation back then. We have laws to deal with this. We have murder laws. We have attempted murder laws. We have conspiracy to commit murder laws. We don't need terrorism as a separate part of the criminal code because an act of terrorism is by definition an act of violence. And those acts of violence have been going on since, you know, Adam and Eve left the garden. And we've had ways to deal with those from a legislative and a judicial perspective. So this may sound funny coming from a guy that worked in counterterrorism for 15 years and has written six books on the topic. But if we were to abandon the word terrorism tomorrow, it wouldn't make a whit of difference to our judicial system. We could still prosecute people. We can still find them guilty and send them away for long periods of time. We don't have to find them guilty as terrorists. We have to find them guilty as murderers or potential murderers.
0: Uh, very well said. Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Tell us, uh, tell us what it is.
1: Well, When I retired from CSIS in 2015, I decided that I wanted to be, um, maintain my activity in this area. I'd already uh, pu- basically written my first book for publication, The Threat from, from Within, you alluded to earlier. More importantly, John, I wanted to talk to people like you. I wanted to have a conversation with average Canadians because uh, surprise, surprise, CSIS isn't <laughs> the most forthcoming organization on the planet. Um, CSE, where I worked before, is even less forthcoming. That's signals intelligence. And I felt that Canadians were ill-served by not having uh, a conversation and, and a bit of perspective from somebody who actually worked at the coalface like I did for 32 years. The voices that we tend to have talking about these issues, uh, they're, they're fine people, but they don't have the, the practical experience that people like myself and my colleagues do. And I just felt that it was important to, to get you know those ideas out there. Not that I have all the answers. My God, I have very few of the answers. But I did work counterterrorism for 15 years. I worked on hundreds of cases. I've testified in trials. I've written six books on the topic. I, I've met terrorists in prison. Uh, I've met the families of terrorists as well. And I wanted to basically just leverage that information to provide a little bit of a different view uh, on what terrorism means to Canadians. And at the same time, not not push the panic button and say, "My God, my God, the earth, you know, the sky's falling." It's not. As I said. We've had very few acts of terrorism, and, 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 you know, since Confederation. I, I kind of hope my contribution has been um, good. I hope that people have appreciated at least some of the things that I have to say. And the bottom line is I just wanted to reflect to the women and men that work at the RCMP and CSIS who go to work every day with, with one thing in mind, one thing only. And that's to try to keep Canadians safe. Uh,
0: you also have a podcast?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's basically I have, I have several podcasts. One is called Canadian Intelligence, A. Eh? Uh, so C I A for sort, C-I-E-H. Um, C I E H. I also have a, a shorter podcast called Quick Hits, which are efforts to try to look at breaking news and, and see what it means through the lens of a, of a, count, a former counterterrorism practitioner. Everything's available on my, my website borealisthreatrisk.com.
0: Fantastic, good of you to join us tonight. We really appreciate your insight.
1: My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me
0: on. Have a terrific evening. Phil Gursky is the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. This is KW Magazine 98.5 CKW.